Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you have a TV, you must have a TV license. It's the law. Inspectors are calling to unlicensed homes and businesses. If you don't, that can mean prosecution and a fine of up to €1,000. Get yours at tvlicense.ie or any post office. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Now then, welcome to... <laughs> welcome to the bloodandmud.com podcast. I yes. am Lee Calvert, and over Hello. there is... Uh, Josh Gardner, hi. Now, as you know now, Josh, we normally do a kind of review of the weekend's action, don't we? Well, you could call it that. We do some rugby stuff in between, going we, off on we, tangents about testicles and things. But um, that's what we tend to do. you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm not included. It's a royal we. We go into <laughs> talking about that. Um, so, but what we're we doing this week? Because sometimes I mean, it was a Premiership Rugby Cup this weekend, wasn't it? And let's be honest, and, no and some Pro 14 where most of the international players weren't there. Yeah, um, and it, it, I, we could of course. Yeah, what's the point? We could of course spend the next hour kind of going frame by frame, looking at whether or not you know Peter Romani's arms are wrapped around. Or CJ Standard's arms are wrapped around something or something. Because that appears to be what the entirety of rugby Twitter is now. But we decided yes. against that. I, I wasn't a big fan of it in the first place, to be honest. No. So, yeah. We decided against that. And we're going to do something that we're going to be trotting out, a new format that we'll be trotting, trotting out on occasion called a Rugby 7, where we pick seven things to remember and mm. talk about on a particular subject from way back or not so far back or basically not what's happened this weekend. Yes. When I mentioned this on Twitter today, which is Monday... Some mm-hmm. people thought I was talking about doing a preview. We're not. No. This is a kind of nostalgic look back at some of the things that we remember from the Autumn Internationals throughout the years. Why on earth would we do something where we try to predict the future, given our track record of predicting anything? We have significantly, significantly upset Glasgow and Edinburgh fans yes. after our enormous talking up last week, and then they lost. Yeah. So I don't want to remind anybody of that. I have just done it, but not in great detail, so... 
So, yeah, I mean, do you really want us to do that for the Scottish national side as well? Because I can. I well, we said they weren't going to get injured and somebody else got injured. I can't remember who it was now. Somebody's got injured. Yeah, all of a sudden there's an injury crisis when I, I think I said, usually they've got an injury crisis by this time of year, <laughs> forgetting yeah. that there was a fucking another week for all of the horrible things to happen. So really then, sorry. we have got the Autumn International Rugby 7, and we might do this for different subjects moving on. Whenever we feel like we just can't be bothered doing the weekend review again, quite honestly. With you. Um, you can get in touch with the pod. I'm Lee, and you can get mm-hmm. in touch with me, Lee at bloodandmud.com, or there's at Blood and Mud on Twitter, which is me. And what about you, Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner, at Rugby Shirt Watch, RugbyShirtWatch.com, all that good stuff. And then we've also got the Patreon page. We have. Thank we you, all have. of you who contribute. For the first time in a little while, and I'm sorry I didn't mention this last week, I meant to, but it slipped my mind, we've had somebody join the Aleb Brew VIP suite. Oh, hello there. Because obviously you can pay your $2 and just get all the benefits and stuff, or you can pay the mm. Aleb Brew VIP suite, which is what Alex McLeish has done. In the last that couple one, of weeks, what the former Birmingham City manager? I don't. He wasn't. Is he Alec McLean? I don't know. But anyway, possibly. I don't know. He, he didn't have a. He didn't have an avatar of him okay, on, the, on his profile. So thank you, Alex, for joining the VIP suite. So you get a mention Indeed. on the pod because that's what you get for joining the the VIP suite. And also, of course, you're now a very close personal friend of ours. Absolutely. I mean, if I were having another wedding, he'd obviously be on the invite list now. Yes, if you went to go the Mooney route, but we don't plan to. So. um <laughs> Before we start, we start as we always usually start, which is with a player spotted. Martin Haslam de- DMs us. He says, Dear Josh and Lee. Not always nice to be included. Yeah, because a lot of people just don't, yeah. yeah. Or they say Lee and Josh. Not often they can put you up front. That Obviously, you, you yeah, recognise yeah. you know, as a... Alphabet, alphabetically speaking, you know, it's correct. In this egalitarian workers' commune that is this pod. Um, <laughs> and that's what, anyway, so he says, Martin says, Dear Josh and Lee, while trudging through the misery of EasyJet's baggage checking at Geneva Airport. I've been that soldier, Martin. I was there a year or so ago. I spotted the power couple of Welsh and Irish rugby. Here, guess who that is? Who's the, that's an interesting description then. Who's the power couple of Welsh and Irish rugby? Is it Simon Easterby and Sarah Elgin Easterby? Got it first, guess. Fucking get in there. Yes, so it's Sarah Elgin and Simon Easterby. He spotted them. I think they were returning from a group skiing holiday, he says. That would make sense. Sounds legit. I've met Sarah Elgin myself at BT, and it's actually, mm. I don't know if you've met her. She is absolutely tiny. I can believe it. It's that, hard yeah. to describe how tiny. And she wears like big shoes, and she's still absolutely tiny. And I think her entire volume is about, I'd say, 65% hair. Yeah, her so hair is kind got, of sixty five percent of a of a of a displacement. She's got a you know? lot of hair. Yeah, it's always feathered and lethal. It is. Know? He says anyway. Big Simon had caught the sun on his face in a pattern which suggested he'd been wearing sunglasses instead of goggles on the slopes. Oh, Simon, a, a good detail though, Martin. Yeah, I mean, how closely were you? Well, this at? is the thing. He said this gave him the appearance of someone who had unsuccessfully tried to apply makeup to resemble a red panda. He said, as is often the case with check-ins, which explains why, he says, the queue snaked back and forth, meaning we passed each other several times. Mm-hmm. Sarah seemed very bubbly and talkative with the rest of their group, while we had, he had a face like a bulldog chewing a wasp. <laughs> Maybe he was grumpy because he knew their skis had to be checked in at a completely separate desk to the one that we were queuing at at that time. Oh, the queue for the desk with accepted bulky luggage was growing rapidly, but I was just moving slow as fuck, as it always does with those easy jet bastards. Oh, oh well. yes. Once I mean, out yeah. of earshot... Of Sarah and Simon, I told my missus who the couple were, to which she responded, I thought he was too big and she was too glamorous for them to just be civilians. 
<laughs> he says, I hope this is mundane enough for you. It's magnificent, Martin. That's a very it's good incredibly submission. Mundane. Thank you very much. I love the idea that you can be too tall to be a, uh, a civilian or too big yeah. to You're be an ordinary person. You're just too massive to be a human and being. And especially if you're with yeah. someone glamorous, if you double up on that, then you've had it, haven't you? Yeah. So then that's us. We're not doing Clubhouse this week either. Sorry to ruin everybody's time, but you know, we've got a lot to get through no, when we remember we've got a lot shit. To get through. We've got seven things. <laughs> seven, seven whole things. And so usually we only do like two or three. So, you know, what we're we supposed to do so like. No five? guarantee it won't end up being that today either. So, you know, yeah, brace yourself. Exactly. And so one then, of my things is technically two things. So, you know. That is true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can't even I can't even stick to my own fucking plan. Now, first of all, we stress this is not meant to be a definitive list of things. Oh, God, no. This is just some stuff that we wanted to chat about. And in a way, I suppose it's the beginning of a discussion. You may want to pick this up on Twitter or whatever and say, well, well, you know, I remember that, or why didn't you include that, or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's just it's just kind of a things that we are, that have kind of... It's the Autumn Internationals. It's, yeah. it's occasionally quite shit, let's be honest, but occasionally... There's some really fun good games there. Yeah. And, do you yeah. do, do you want to talk about Neil Francis and Colin Copernic for we for for we <laughs> No, no, we don't because we've got a lot to get through, and that could be. We have got a lot to get through. Let's not go there. Just absolutely Neil, stop, hideous. Just, just quit. Stop writing. Quit journalism, mate. It's not for you. What I will anyway. say is, I'll ask you the, <laughs> this yes. one thing: you're an editor, right? Yes. How did that get past any editor at any that thing was ever? One of the, when I was into probably the 400th word of his rambling opening where he was sort of putting the Rodney King situation and the LA riots alongside him stalling his car in Cork on the same night that they broke out. <laughs> when he got into about the third or fourth hundred word of that, as much as I was obviously incensed by the inherent offensiveness of everything, the editor in me did go, this should have been like a 50-worder. Yeah, tops. it's very odd, isn't it? At no point. He can't have been edited. He must just file it directly into the, you know, like we like to do WordPress, yeah. just straight into yeah, that. Yeah, he files it straight to see, but still there should be an editor going, that's particularly a newspaper editor, should be going, no fucking <laughs> way. Red pen everywhere. Anyway. Right. Yeah, so yeah, we're not, that's all we're going to say on that. No, yes. Uh, read it and weep, literally. Um, yeah. Right then, so let's talk about Rugby 7. We've got seven in no particular order. Um, I'm yes. going to start with number one of the seven. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take you back to the 18th of November in the year of our Lord 2000. The, yes. world, has, the world has not ended. We've really? all survived the Millennium Bug and all that stuff. Oh, that. that Argentinian goalkeeper who decided to end his professional career because the world was going to end looked a bit daft, but it had gone his face <laughs> by this point. I'm not entirely convinced that the world shouldn't have ended in 2000, <laughs> by the way. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so what happened on the 8th of November, 8th of November 2000? It was England 22, Australia 19. Mm. Now, what's most memorable about this game is the it was a last minute try. Well, it wasn't even last minute, it was deep into injury time try. Yes. where uh, Ian Bolshaw chipped the ball on having come off the bench. Dan Luger sprints through, touches it down. Well, it seemed like... A, and also then there was a long TMO deliberation. It seemed like a long well, TMO. It was the first time a TMO was used at Twickenham, which of course was a right? I did not for everyone concerned. And it seemed like a long time at the time, but looking back, it was a lot of brevity with that TMO. <laughs> he, he saw it out pretty quickly exactly. compared like, to modern times. But people thought, was that like the best thing that both Dan Luger and Ian Balshaw ever did in an England shirt? Yeah, and what's this is why this is an interesting game because one, 
it wasn't a vintage England performance at all. And you have Ooh. to remember at this point that England had been unceremoniously dumped out of the 1999 World Cup yeah. by the Yanni de Beer drop goal roadshow. Classic stuff. Um, and this was part of the kind of rebuilding that would eventually lead to that incredibly dominant 2001-2002 period. Yeah, because people talk about like the Tour of Hell being the thing that sort of galvanised Woodward's England. And, you know, obviously it was important, massively so, but this win might have been, like, it certainly sort of, it kick-started them on a curve that obviously ultimately climaxed at, at the World Cup in 2003. And arguably they were, they were coming down from the curb, curve in 2003. Yeah. They were absolutely incredible, to, to borrow hyperbole word they were incredible around about the end of 2002 which is not yeah, that far true, ahead of this and there's something about because this was a decent australia side england weren't exactly I mean, they were doing all right in the six nations at this point but they, well, they hadn't beaten australia in the professional era at this point that is they? true yeah and it was such yeah. a such a big thing in terms of belief and it was a great performance interestingly when you look at the teams one thing I find that's interesting about this is when you look at the teams, is how it's shaping towards that 2003, 2002 well, yeah. team. And the, then the, and, player, the players who were on the field at the end. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and who comes, who stays and who goes. Matt Perry, who was playing fullback oh, yeah. for England, who looked nailed on to be England's fullback. <laughs> for, and he did, genuinely, good yeah. player, you know, looked nailed on to be still relatively young at that point. And, and it wasn't, and by the time you get to 2002, a young lad called Jason Robinson's turned up and Josh Lusey's in the team and stuff like yeah. that. So it becomes a different thing altogether. So yeah, if you look at the England team that played that day, you got Matt Perry, Austin Healy on the wing, mm-hmm. who obviously kind of made way, Mike Tyndall in the, who stayed around, Mike Cat, who stayed in the squad for the, for the World Cup. Yeah. Dan Luger, as you said, who, who had this fleeting season of him. Dan, Lug- Dan Luger, I forget Dan Luger ever existed. I would say roughly on average about every six months, and then I have to be reminded <laughs> that Dan Luger existed. And I go, oh yeah, Dan Luger, remember? And then he's gone again. Well, Ben Cohen kind of came in, didn't he? And yes, Lucy and yeah. Cohen came in and sort of took the wing spots a bit later on. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson's there, obviously, because he's been there since, as you mentioned, the tour of hell. Kieran mm. Bracken's still knocking round. Yeah. At this stage, Matt Dawson goes off the bench, interestingly. Matt Dawson was off, and that, and that was the thing, that the people at the end, you know, the people who got on the field, the Dawson, Tyndall, Wilkinson, back to Lalio Hill, Johnson. It's the making of that team, isn't it? Mm. The bedrock is there. And yeah, interestingly, a... Greening's still in there, but he gets slowly moved out. Yeah, he? and Phil and Green. Gre- and Greenwood's on the bench. Greenwood is on the bench. He's obviously going to eventually make that. But I thought it was really interesting that, like, the way that they won. Because, like you said, they weren't very good. No. That day, I was playing that day, and I remember walking into the clubhouse in Cardiff and everybody laughing their tits off <laughs> as me and the other English lads walked in. And, and then, obviously, not laughing so much a few you know, five or ten minutes later. But, yeah, it was... Uh... Yeah. You look at everything that they did wrong in that game as they sort of tried their best to fucking lose it and then eventually pulled it back from the brink. It's like... They were profligate with their chances. They didn't take their points. Wilkinson was missing drop goals. And then there's kind of a weird synergy to like, those are all of the things that they managed to do very well three years later against Australia. And it's sort of this weird kind of, yeah, this weird kind of beginning and end of a thing that by the time they come out the other side, they'd learned the lessons that they learned in this game and they didn't make those mistakes again, I guess. 
Yes, and if you see that team, Perry, Healy, Tyndall, Bath, Luger, Wilkinson, Bracken, starting team, Leonard, mm-hmm. Greening, Vickery, Johnson, Grucock, Hill, back to Lallio, standard. That's there. Yeah. Um, and then you <laughs> look at the England team in 2002, which is when they were starting to, you know, really mm. beat, ev- well, they did beat everybody, home or away, in 2002, yeah. pretty much. And by then you've got Jason Robinson, James Simpson Daniels on the on, on the wing, but then it would have been Josh Lucy, ultimately. Will Greenwood and Mike Tindall and Ben Cohen, that's nailed on. Dawson and Wilkinson, nailed on. Yeah. Um, and then you go Trevor Woodman, Steve Thompson, who who appear who comes course, in. Yeah. Roller skating champion of England or whatever he was, <laughs> whatever he was. <laughs> Phil Victor, so, yeah, um Vickery Thompson Woodman, Grucock and Johnson, Ben Kay's on the bench in two thousand and two, but will ultimately get the the starting start, and then of course you of course, got yeah. Hill, Delalio back, Lewis Moody, who was always hanging around yeah. at that point as well. So they were kind of nearly there, and there was something about this win, I think, that made Woodward probably look and go, the core of it's here. I just yeah, need to bring a few extra bits in. I need to go sign to. Jason Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's the thing. You look at the way that they attacked in this game, and it was obvious that you know they had a core in the forwards. They had a core that and they had a fly off and they had you know they had the pieces there but they needed some x factor they needed somebody to do what Ian Bullshaw did i.e. something unexpected and creative then get injured but, probably well yeah but with more consistency <laughs> and a bit more quality yes and less of a sort of 1950s field hospital attendant vibe about him um, <laughs> so yeah so, so yeah. that was Number one, which was England 22, Australia 19. The Australia team that day, for those of you who are interested, was Chris Latham, Matt Burke, Daniel Herbert, Sterling Mortlock, Joe Roth, Kafer. Accordingly, at Scrum Half, who I don't really have much of a memory of. No, I don't know who he was. Played for to Queensland. To be honest with you. Uh, Young, Foley, Dyson, John Eels, David Giffen, Williams, George Smith, and Tutai Kefu. This was not the game he played inside centre. He randomly played inside centre for Australia <laughs> yes. once, didn't yeah. he? That was all a bit Mirka Bergamasco there, wasn't it? It was all a bit, yeah. Was it Mara Bergamasco? Yeah, I quite like to play centre. Well, all right then, just so we can prove that you can't ever do it ever again. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) So that's England's sort of start on the road to, I suppose, maybe a year later, two years of domination. Luckily, that's continued. There's been no problem since then, as we'll discover in some of the other games that we decide to cover later. Swimmingly well. (laughs) Right, number Um, two. Yes. Is yes. we'll move forward a few years. Wales 20, 2005, November 2005, Wales 24, Australia 22. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to me that no Wales beat like, Australia. Is that weird well, to you? Yeah, but it's weird that Wales beat Australia. It was the first time that Wales has beaten Australia since 1987, hmm. and zero highlights exist for this online. That's really odd, isn't it? Like, also... Even not, like, one first... of the tries or anything. There's nothing, is it? Well, yeah. It was their first win over a big Southern Hemisphere team since 99, when they beat South Africa. It was one of Shane Williams's best ever tries. I mean, Wales were playing in black for no appreciable reason. What is not to love? <laughs> um, the, game, the game also featured uh, that most rare of Curate's eggs, which was a Wales penalty try, as a result of relentless scrum pressure. Um <laughs> To be honest with you, that might, that might be the last time we actually did that against. Oh, top that level was some position. kind of fever dream that the nation well, yeah. has suddenly taken. It's what's, like what's, folk what's, memory. 
<laughs> What's even more remarkable, the front row that day who won that penalty, right? Yeah. Duncan Jones. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Thomas Reese Thomas. T. Reese Thomas, yeah. And Chris Horseman. Chris Horseman. He must have been about 35 then, was he? Chris yeah, Horseman. well, he basically did that ridiculous thing where he never actually played in Wales or for a Welsh team, but bought a house just over the border when he played in Worcester so he could fucking earn his residency <laughs> qualification, <laughs> which is the most shitty way to earn That's a residency really qualification. Shit, isn't it? I really never liked Chris Horseman, to be honest with you. So this is, of course, the beginning of the, well, sort of the beginning of the Ruddock era, isn't it? Well, it's pre, it's post-Grand Slam. So Wales have won the Grand Slam. Of course Slam it of, is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Wales have won the Grand Slam in five, hell. and then they obviously got massively overlooked on the Lions tour to everybody in Wales' annoyance. Um, and then they went into the autumn missing, what, seven of their Lions, got battered by New Zealand, got battered by South Africa, um, and then in between needing a last second, Nicky Robinson dropped gold to sneak past Fiji. I was there that night. It was a hateful, hateful <laughs> day. Um, and people were questioning... Nothing says quality like neither the Nicky Robinson drop goal to beat <laughs> sure. Fiji at home so, in yes, the winter, it 11, does it? 11 to 9 or something like that. It was fucking dreadful. Um, yeah, and people were sort of questioning, after Wales had obviously won Grand Slam in such style, whether they were a flash in the pan. And of course, they were. Um, it was built Grand on Slam, sand, was the word yeah, that a lot the, of people used, yeah. Yeah, the Grand Slam was a perfect storm that would never be repeated. But for that one glorious afternoon... Wales looked like a Grand Slam winning Wales team again. Like twenty four twenty two doesn't look like a classic, but it was it was a good game, like a really good game. Both like that Australian team under Eddie Jones had like Lottie Takiri, Matt Rogers, Drew Mitchell, Chris Latham. They were mm-hmm. a good side. Um, they Gregan, fucking, Phil Ward. Yeah, they had a fucking dreadful scrum though, which is why we got that penalty try. Uh, they had fucking Matt Dunning starting for God's sake. Um, <laughs> the donut boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that moment, the glorious live forever moment that it doesn't exist anywhere online and only exists in the memories of the people who were there or fucking watched it. Second half, Australia spilled... I can remember this like it was fucking yesterday. Australia build, spilled the ball in the Wales 22. Gareth Cooper picks it up, remember him. Um, Pacey. Ships it, ships it out to Gareth Thomas, who passes it out to Shane on the wing, who chips over the top of the Aussie defence into their half, gathered up by Alfie, who instantly passes it back to Shane, who fucking burns up the wing, uh, skips over a lunging ankle tap from Lottie Takiri and runs in under the post. And it was magnificent. It might have been the best try he ever scored that wasn't that one against New Zealand in 2003. <laughs> and this time we actually won. Um, a small, that... perfectly formed T has just rolled down Josh's cheek as he, as he, as he really recalled that I was, try. I remember I was in a pub uh, in Cardiff called The End at the bottom of Coburn Street in Gatays, which doesn't exist anymore, I'm pretty sure. Um, I remember they used to do a barbecue chicken baguette and chips for pound fifty, so I went there quite a lot when I was a student. Not bad. Um, tell you what, fucking crap, they were terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that place went absolutely insane. And like it felt like Wales had vindicated themselves, and they proved they weren't a flash in the pan. And of course, that was the last good moment under Mike Ruddock because of this fucking wonderful ramshackle irresistible team that they had because the next time they took the field it was England at Twickenham and 47-13 and then it was making hard work of 14-man Scotland a week later and then it was Ruddockgate and then everything ended so this was like the last glorious perfect brilliant moment of Mike Ruddock's wonderful fucking improbable 
entirely nonsensical. Do you remember that wonderful moment words. after the Grand Slam win when when he um, Gravel got hold of him on the touchline after the winning game against Ireland, wasn't it? And uh, Gravel puts his arm around his shoulder and he says, "Thank you, thank you so much, Mike." And he's like, "I." Grabs tears running down his face. So thank you for everything that you've done. And he's had his head with his big head cans on because he's working for S4C. I don't, I don't remember that because I was too busy wandering around Cardiff, sort of pissed and sort of crying, walking around. <laughs> by you were all Ray around, Gravel that day, I think. Walking, walking through Butte Park, trying to get back, not trying to find my way to a train station, but too busy just hugging random strangers. <laughs> Oh, that's the glorious thing about sporting moments like that, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. One of the greatest days. So, So, yeah, it stuck out to me because it's so underreported and it's so underremembered that we had this incredible game that was like the final glorious moment of Mike Ruddock's Wales. And it doesn't exist anywhere. It might as well have been airbrushed from history. It's mad. Here's a game that I think we should play as we go through this. Yeah. Let's go through the team and do the would you rather have them in the team now than oh, who's, okay. who's in there okay. now. Okay. So Into if it. I was to do England in 2000, and, in 2000 Matt yes. Perry, yes, yes, I would rather have Matt Perry than Mike Brown. Yes. Austin Healy. If you're going for a full England, would I want Austin Healy above Elliot Daly on the wing, above Elliot Daly or, or Anthony Watson or, or Johnny May or... Chris Ashton, definitely not Chris Ashton. No. Mike Tyndall. Mike Tyndall, as he played then, yes. Yes. Mike Cat at 12, yes. Oh, yes. God, yes. <laughs> Dan Luger, no. Mm. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson, yes. Even though, you know, there's some things, you know, in foul, decent joke. Bracken, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, compared to Danny Kerr. Or Ben Young. Or Ben Young, yes, I'd have Kieran Bracken. Yeah, this is a starting team, by the way. Jason yeah. Leonard, yeah, since we've... Yeah, well, Mako's pretty good in a modern game, mobile, carrier. He wasn't a carrier, was he, Jason? Jason basically just made his entire career from just standing still and being the strongest man in Europe. That was basically... (laughs) And having great technique. Could play both sides of the scrum as well. Yeah. He owned a really shit uh, sports shop in... um, For, like... You know, like how... I thought he was a carpenter. That's where he started, wasn't he? You know how sports shops used to exist... Oh, like, yeah. Were like, There's still a few like... of them. It's like Foresters in Mould and things like that, yeah. <laughs> they sell you know, school uniform. That's how they stay afloat. Do you know how, like, he used to... Like, you know how there used to be, like, really shit shops that were, like, sort of... Yeah, they'd have, like, a few fucking Nike or Adidas T-shirts and a couple you of... You could always get a Caracal racket grip for your badminton racket. Exactly. Though. He owned a sports shop that was in an old non-conformist chapel in Longwell Green for about three years. Where's Longwell I, I, Green? Uh, it's, just, it's where I live in Bristol, on the, <laughs> right. just outside of Bristol. Jason and Leonard owned... Hang on, let me unpack He owned a sports shop in an yeah, old reformist church in Bristol. It was either he owned it or somebody he was very matey with owned it because they always used to have signs up for Jason Leonard rugby camps all the time. And it's like, this ah, right, is too okay. weird a coincidence thing. Yeah, because yeah, so he, be... he plays in London. Yeah, it it made no sense whatsoever. So that, anyway, that was a, anyway, a random... A Jason really Leonard, random. I'd have him in the squad, I think. Absolutely. I don't I don't know if I'd have him ahead of make him, I'll be honest. No, but I'd have him in the squad, I think. Phil yeah. Greening, no, probably not. No. Phil Vickery. Although, over who? Would you, would you have him over Hartley? No. No. <laughs> he was a hooker of a type that, no. 
doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Vickery, yes, probably. Yeah. At Tighthead, yeah. Uh, 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 Martin Johnson, yes. Danny yeah. Gukok, yeah, just for the laugh of it. <laughs> Hill back in the Lalio. Yes, Hill and yes, back, yes. absolutely yes. Would they get ahead of Billy, Billy Villapola if fit? I mean, he's a hell of a lot more fucking... I wouldn't be upset if I had to put him in. No. Put it that fine. way. Anyway, that was that. So let's do the Wales team in 2005 and say, yes. would you have them in now? Fullback. Yeah, we were missing seven Lions at this point. Fair enough, but let's on. just do yeah, it yeah. anyway. Fullback, yeah. Gareth Thomas. I don't know, see. Will I have my head of Lee Halfpenny? Or Liam, or Liam Williams? Williams? I don't think I would. As great as Alfie was, mm. I don't think I would. All right, okay. David James? No. Because he would, he'd be looking at the minute, it'd be Josh Adams or George, wouldn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't have him ahead of George North. Or, or Liam Williams. I wouldn't have him ahead of Liam Williams either. Sorry, Dav. <laughs> yeah, loads of points and all that, but sorry. Big, big old lad. But, I mean, yeah. this guy's definitely going in, Matthew Watkins. <laughs> Matthew J. Watkins. Matthew J. Watkins or John Davis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're all right. Sonny Parker. No. Underrated Sonny Parker, I think. I love Underrated, Sonny Parker. but yeah. Fantastic servant for the Ospreys and for Wales. Shay, um, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Under thousand Who, times, yes. Whoever. In any yes. position he wants to play in, yeah. yeah absolutely. Stephen Jones? Yeah. Ahead of Dan, but I, I, I think, think so. 2005 Stephen Jones, I think so. 2005 Wellies was absolutely, like, the... We'll talk about it later. But yeah. yes, Stephen Jones entirely capable of being excellent. Gareth Cooper. No. Well, you've already got Gareth Davis. What do you want Gareth <laughs> Cooper for? He's like the same, like a facsimile of the same player, basically. Chopsy, <laughs> rapid bloke without a brain with another one. <laughs> He's looking a bit better, Gareth Davis. He is actually. We've already done the front row. The answer's probably no. Uh, yeah, Duncan no, Jones, no, Thomas Reese Thomas. No, no, no. So good they I, named him twice. And, uh, I love Duncan Jones with a passion, but no. He's Ian Goff, interesting. Would you fancy oh. Ian Goff? Ahead of Brad Davis or... Corey Hill. Corey Hill or, or Jake Ball. Or obviously, yeah, because obviously Alan Wynn's obviously this, sticking this point, in there, isn't Jake, he? At this point, Ian Goff, no, I wouldn't. Ian Goff, a few years later under Warren Gap. Yes. True, yeah. Robert Sadoli. <laughs> no, I think I'll take Adam and Jones. Yeah, I'd be fair enough. Jarvis over what would Moriarty, I suppose, now, wouldn't it? Uh, I might take on think, Jarvis. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. Martin Williams over the five hundred sevens you can choose from. Um, for the modern game, probably not. But mm. I'll take Martin Williams any day of the week. Michael Miss Pass Owen eight <laughs> over to <laughs> over Taolupe. I'll tell you what: a phenomenal footballer, <laughs> a one a wonderful passer of the ball. Or no. <laughs> but Falatau is all of those things and a proper eight. Um, I, would, I once sat next to Michael Owen on an economy flight to Florida. In I can beat that. I played against Michael Owen in a charity really? sevens match, yeah. Wow. Was he fucking all over the place? Brilliant. He played every every bank holiday, my rugby club, Cardiff Harlequins, would have a Cardiff Institute for the Blind sevens charity tournament, which was the Gareth Edwards tournament. And Gareth would turn up and sit with somebody on the tightline doing a bit of commentary. It rained every year for about four years. and Because it was a charity event. I was working for Legal and General. This is the same year I played with Gethin Jones because he was tempered at Legal and General. It's a superstar <laughs> year. So yeah. me and Gethin were on the same team for um, 
legal in general, because they paid like five grand to enter a team or whatever. And then the other team, it was called, I can't remember what they were called, but they were all Ponty players, basically. Oh, so Gareth, like, had a, he had a sponsored Vauxhall Corsa or Nissan Micra or something with his name down the side. And we played and we got absolutely fucking battered. And I'm pretty sure they were just walking. You know, they weren't even, like, attempting to run properly. Uh, yeah, anyway, so there you go, 2005, anyway. as you said. And then I'm sure we'll do an episode on the Ruddock era and try and unpick it one day. But um, I think we can have to one day just because it's probably cheaper than therapy for me. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> right, what else have we got? Yeah, so moving on to number three. Now, this is a bit of a cheat, really, because it's three games in one, but I just had to go with it because it's a bit of a laugh. Well, well, I say a laugh. It's kind of, I don't know, like yeah, a bit like therapy, like you just said, I suppose. <laughs> England's 2009 horror show is number See, three. you call this a horror show? Yes, I do. You call this a nightmare? You lost two and won one while playing terribly and having loads of injuries. That's what we Welsh people call a standard <laughs> fucking November. <laughs> So yeah, so we lost eighteen yes. nine to Australia, scoring no yeah. tries. We, we this was <laughs> these two games, of course, were the infamous, glorious days of Hugo Monier and fullback, fullback for two games. <laughs> the absolute like Hugo Monier under the high ball at fullback against Argentina on a loop forever, please. Just every one of them. He couldn't even catch the ball. It was passed to him. Never mind, kicked in the air. <laughs> the best part was when the first time that he actually manages to take a high ball, which I don't even think was enough. I think it was like a missed drop goal and he got it and there were ironic cheers. And then he passes it to Shane Garrity and Shane Garrity spanks it out on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and he did catch one of them because I was doing it. And he ran it in into contact and spewed it forward out of the first tackle that he hit. It was, I mean, what was funny is his expression never really changed. He, had to, no. had to, he was obviously trying to like center himself and get a bit zen, and none of it was no. working whatsoever. I mean, that let's go. Let's, let's unpack this. Like there were thirty players missing. Yes, from Martin Johnson. Well, the funny thing was, I remember Martin Johnson was really enthusiastic about how it would show what great squad depth they had. Um, and this squad included Richard Blaze, a player that I swear to God... The Argentina never, game. The Argentina the, one, the, the, yeah. I've the actual squad, yeah, yeah. In my life. He might as well just have never existed. And, like, I know most rugby players. I can't remember Richard Blaze. Certainly Blaise. at test level. I can't remember I him. cannot remember I, quite, him. I could not remember him, yeah, when I looked. They might as well have made him up. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Blade Thompson. I mean, he's he sounds he's not like, real, but yeah, he, he sounds, is real. But he sounds like he shouldn't be. He sounds like he should be pretend. I'm not entirely convinced that he isn't pretend. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So the Argentina game, it was sorry. The Australia game was. I'm just going to run this through, through this quickly. Monye, Mark Cueto, Dan Hipkiss at 13, Shane Geraghty, Matt Banahan. What's funny is if you look at one of the videos of this on, on YouTube, somebody underneath has put Matt Banahan should have had a much longer England career than he did. <laughs> I mean, again, on, you know, all, all respect to him, but come on. On evidence that he's a nice guy and he's a big lad. Yes, but like, you can't have an international winger who takes 150 metres to get up to about third of his top speed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Banahan, yeah. Johnny Wilkinson, Danny Kerr, you forget how long these people have been around, don't you? No. Danny Kerr. Tim Payne, God, you remember him? Fuck me. He was absolutely <laughs> dreadful. Sure, he was a nice fella and all that, but... Um, Steve Thompson uh, at hooker. Dave yeah. Wilson, he constantly looked like a shagged-out bad puss. Because like two he minutes fucking of... absolutely was. He was like, this, I am not set up for Andrew <laughs> rugby at all. Louis Deacon, who was so mediocre. It was just... 
to call him a pound shop, Jono, would just be doing him a disservice, to be honest. He, was, he wasn't very good. Oh, was Steve, this was the Steve Borthwick captain period where everything was it brilliant was. after games. Yeah. And he yeah. got really pissed off if you suggested that it wasn't. <laughs> Tom Croft at six. Yeah. Obviously just timing his run into whatever. Yeah, just whatever in time for a, for a Lions tour. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis Moody still in there. Jordan Crane at eight. Jordan Crane still, at eight. Still go, look at these the players that are still going. We're like nine years hence, or nearly ten years hence. And also, you yeah, know, Cody Laws is on the bench going. for this game. Yes. Can you believe, I, I had no idea he'd been around that long. I couldn't remember. Dylan Hartley's on the bench as well. Tell you else. And then the, the creeping spectre on the bench at number 22 <laughs> awaiting to pounce. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about James Haskell. Oh, no. He's always no. been there, hasn't he? No, the creeping spectre on the bench awaiting to pounce oh, yes. for Halloween <laughs> kids. Don't be too frightened. There's a Eula or Inlay. <laughs> Don't have nightmares. Um, yeah, so that's the. And obviously, it, we didn't score a try. We looked absolutely diabolical. And Australia won fairly easily. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was an injured team, but even you so. look at that Australia team though. It's like Adam Ashley Cooper, Digby Iwane, Quade Cooper, <laughs> Drew Mitchell, Matt Gitter, Will Genia, yeah. George Smith, Rocky Elson, Wycliffe Palo, James Horwell, Mark Chisholm, Stephen Moore. Yeah, with Pilotta now fucking Pocock, Pocock on the bench, Pocock, Mum, James O'Connor, and Luke Burgess. Like, it's not bad, is it? Like the fact that they didn't absolutely... And I remember I remember when Shane Geraghty came through and I so wanted him to be good. I cannot tell you, listeners, how much I wanted Shane Geraghty to be good. Because it was like, oh. yes, we've got a 12 again. And he just was so ill-suited to this, to this level of competition. had the look of a prick about him from day one. <laughs> and I just thought... It wasn't so much that for me. He was just shit. I, just look at, I took one look at him and I just thought... You look like a bit of a prick, mate. So we then from win that, it. Go on. I just, from that moment, I was just like, it's never going to work. We then win against Argentina. And again, I mean. In one of the worst games. An horrendous game. I've ever played. And I think the majority of this Argentina team were still amateurs. Uh, yeah, four members of the squad were amateurs. And by the way that you played in the first half, so were all of your squad. Um, <laughs> they, they were, it was almost heroically inept in that first half, I remember. All, of course, all done in glorious regal purple. John, um, it, it, Johnson had taken a look at the um, Australian performance and said, I know what I need to solve this. It's Paul Hodgson at scrum half. <laughs> that, that's what's going to solve this problem. So he comes in and everything else oh, largely remains the same. Indeed. Duncan Bell comes in, bless him, at, at tight end. And then we've already talked about the Monia Horish. Honestly, if you don't, Adam Reese actually shared it as well when he was in responding to a tweet that we did. If you haven't seen it, please look up um, Argentina versus, or Hugo Monier full, fullback Argentina on YouTube. It is glorious in its crazy ineptitude. We did then, they really make it on in any of the games? Because he didn't make it on against Argentina or no, well, he, yeah, that's the thing. He's the creeping spectre because then against New Zealand, he's unleashed into the starting of fifteen. Course he is, yeah. Garrity gets flirted, so you go from this sort of dancing Will of the Wisp blonde thing into <laughs> this massive, <laughs> massive unit who doesn't really know what to do with a rugby ball. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, so it, it's it is worth funny. telling again this backline. Now, the New funny. Zealand backline. Which wasn't yeah. exactly, I don't think, the starting lineup at this point, not or not completely, but near enough, mm. is from Scrum Half, Jimmy Cowan. God, do you remember him? 
Yeah. Jimmy Cowan, Dan Carter, City Vanni Sivivatu, Mar Nonu, Conrad Smith, Zach Guildford, Mills Muliaina. That's their backline. Not bad. Here's England's backline. Paul Hodgson. <laughs> Not a strong start. Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> Hugo Monnier back on the wing. Ayula Rinley. Dan yeah. Hipkiss. Matt yeah. Banahan. Mark Queto at fullback. He actually play, He's one. Of the, he actually comes out of this series all right. Mark Queto. The final game, you were actually all right. Like New Zealand were very bad that day, but it wasn't like humiliating. Like you want humiliating autumn results. Would you like to lose at home to Samoa? I can give you one of those or Fiji. <laughs> but you know, it was yeah. You know, it was a bad autumn. You played some truly terrible rugby. You did you actually score a try aside from that Banahan one? Banahan try the only try you scored. We scored a t- no tries against New Zealand, no tries against Australia, a try against Argentina, which I mean, was a disgrace, not, really. It's not great, is it? It's oh, honestly no. got. I mean, and I'm sorry, England fans, to go back there, but I think it's sometimes it's it's helpful to go back there. One, it's helpful to cause... understand the folly of appointing somebody never coached before and fucking loved Leicester, obviously, into in, <laughs> into into your thing, but also to look at no matter how kind of upset we might get now. Yes. It's not bad. It's, it's not, not this, is it? It's not as bad as this, no. And it's, you look at the sort of meeting of coaching minds. Martin Johnson versus Graham Henry. It's a bit fucking different, isn't it? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Oh, it's just but, so bad. So, yeah, again, go and look all that up and relive the wonder that was England's 2009 Autumn Internationals. <laughs> Heading uh, forward to the glory of World Cup 2011, of course. Obviously. Still got, further than that, still got further than 2015, but there you go, than True. in 2015. Number four mm. in our seven, pick of seven, is mm. Ireland versus New Zealand in 2013. I mean, Some fucking game, gonna, this, wasn't it? Fucking, oh, I mean, the what biggest, a game. The biggest mistake that Ireland made here was getting out to a 19-0 lead far, far too quickly. It was after like 20, last, 24 minutes, was it? It was 19 minutes, yeah. The last fucking thing you want to do with the All Blacks is give them a mountain to climb and then provide them with a full set of fucking ropes and crampons with which to mount their ascent, which is effectively what you do when you say 19.60 minutes, crack on, lads. And But oh, Conor Murray in this game unbelievable like he was in Chicago actually honourable mention yeah, for Chicago like, I mean, I'm yeah, sorry to talk was... about when you lost Ireland because no doubt Irish listeners are going well why can't you mention the game that we won well because this is more interesting frankly and this was a but better game it was a be better honest, game but yeah. like, and also like we're not you know we're not just talking about the best games because that would be fucking boring we're trying to talk about the, the games and the things that have some semblance of a story attached to them and for me this was a game where Conor Murray in particular he ascended to that level where he's sort of been since like and the island squad like, generally as well because yeah. because Ireland had looked since then they've looked the most likely and have yeah. been and literally yeah, have I'm, been and beaten yeah, them. They, they, um, yeah. the, despite the fact you've got to remember in 2013 they'd had a, they'd had a completely shit out six nations Ireland, yeah. pretty much they'd had a pretty minging tour of the USA and Canada in the summer well they'd won but it was entirely unconvincing yeah, I mean, not, not not first choices and all that. This was out of fucking nowhere. And then they went. They don't win this, but they go very close to winning this. And then, of course, they win the Six Nations two years running after this. It all builds up to Chicago, and obviously <laughs> Chicago, and then a week after getting the shit kicked out of them by New Zealand, yeah. not on but the scoreboard, was... literally getting the shit kicked out <laughs> of them, <laughs> getting beaten. To... But you look at it, and you look at the players that 
Murray was immense in this game. Fucking uh, Sean O'Brien was immense in this game. Gordon Darcy. Remember how like he was massively overrated for almost the entirety of his career because he had the good fortune to stand next to Brian O'Driscoll? <laughs> Not that day. Not that. He was fucking everywhere. He put himself about in defence today. It, it was, was like the yeah. best game of his career and probably one of the best like, performances of an Island 12 in recent years. It was amazing. but And it's full of the kind of heartbreak, isn't it? Sexton. Well, this that... game is all about the end isn't it yes. Sexton missing that kick 73 it, minutes a very kickable kick that would have made yeah. it, made them 8 points clear so yeah. no matter what New Zealand did it probably wouldn't have been enough you just had that, that feeling in your stomach like the weird thing about that kick as well when you point. watch it and maybe Ireland listeners will remember this is that to all the world it looks like it's gone over going over and then it doesn't it's somehow done it's it's that's bang horrible. and that's fine oh oh hang on no it's missed it's <laughs> And I mean, tra- there's a lot of hot takes as I've said that he'll never get over that Johnny Sexton stuff. And I think maybe for yeah. a day or two he didn't, but no, obviously he, he has. He turned out all right, didn't yeah. it? But the thing I'd forgotten about this, and, and Ireland fans won't appreciate us dwelling on the the try, but we kind of have to. Yeah. Obviously, it's Crotty scored it, but mm-hmm. who's there dummying, stepping inside, and then offloading for Crotty to score? I can't a, remember. Go on. A young bloody Dane Coles, that's who, showing his <laughs> Hollywood tendencies right from the... And end. also that try, you know, it's Ian Madigan, had, or Ian Madigan, as you would call him, Ian Madigan yes. had come on, yes. and Tommy Bow pushed inside to help with the tackle on Coles. Yes. And then also Madigan pushed inside to, on the same tackle, even though he was the outside no. defender, oh, leaving no. the channel open for Crotty to run in. And then, of course, there was this... The, the, this ridiculous retake and conversion. Oh, well, before we even get there, the right. worst part of the whole thing... After they score, and there's there's a celebration, it cuts to a wide shot, and there's some I can't I couldn't make out the number, but there's an Irish player who's on his hands and knees in the in goal area, like facing towards where the ball has been touched down, and he just looks up, and like sees the All Blacks celebrating like six feet away, and his head just sort of <laughs> drops into the turf, and he just stays there on his hands and knees with his head. Because that's drawn it level to try, of course, isn't it? So they're not yeah, going to win from there, you know. And like they all look devastated, but like everybody else is sort of gathering himself. But whoever this is, is just down there for a good thirty seconds. Just the death is horrible. <laughs> the desolation of just like you can feel it. He's given everything. And they've come up short, and it's oh fuck, it's rough. But yeah, the so that touchdown brings it to twenty-two all. There's a conversion quite close to the touch, the left-hand touchline for <sighs> Aaron Cruden to take, um, who's not renowned as you know, he's not a bad no. kicker, but he's not renowned as, as slotting him from the touchdown the last minute sort of thing, and it certainly isn't now anyway. So I'd completely he can't swing his leg with all that money in his pocket, but he's um, <laughs> I'd completely forgotten that it had to be retaken, like. I remember it going over, but I'd forgotten all of the fucking nonsense. <laughs> it's kind of comical because obviously you can't move forward to chase down a kick until the kicker moves forward. And he doesn't yeah. move at all. And like about 10, like charging the light brigade, Irish yeah. players come <laughs> running at him. And, and he just, just and he doesn't, to have a he doesn't yeah. move. He just kind of stands there. Just, what the fuck are you lot doing? <laughs> but what makes me laugh is, right, he is so far away. Why are you bothering expect? I know there's a part yeah. of, well, at You're least on. if it maybe puts him off. But honestly, yeah. why are you even bothering? Because he got his eye, because he did kick it, didn't he? And he just and he pushed got it right. Yeah. Thought, all right, I know what I need to do now. Yeah. Exactly. It was like the worst thing they could have done. Oh, it was horrible. But, you know, it was important. It was hugely important from an Irish point of view. Yes. Because it... Because that was no fucking dickhead New Zealand side. Fuck no, that was a brilliant New Zealand and side. They and they, they hadn't lost all year, had they? So it meant a no. hell of a lot to them. Yeah, and they refused to be beaten. 
They find and so many ways to win, don't they? Even making they the opposition miss quite easy kicks. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just baffling how that happens. But it was a lesson from an Irish point of view that they couldn't, and they, you know, they turned around a few years later. At, and we and can physically they, compete with them. We're, we're, we're powerful yeah, we enough. We're dynamic enough. We can't let them fucking hang around, and we can't give them an opportunity to win it at the death. And we can live with their pace as well. Do you know what I mean? Was, even yeah, though they lost, yeah. was them, we can live with them. We can we can operate at their level of performance, sort of thing. Mm. Which is a uh, which is that. So yeah. So sorry, Island fans. Uh, obviously, hat tip, honourable mention to the Chicago win because that was yeah. a fantastic win. Yeah. But um, this, this is the one that game, sticks in the memory. And there is. I'm not trying to do. This down is the that game Chica- that started your fucking. This is the game that started your ascendance to the very top of world rugby. So yes. I'm sure it fucking hurts. Well, Hash, uh, caveat, you know, asterisk apart from New Zealand, but yeah, yeah, but like <laughs> that's always the know, case, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this was the moment where it all started and where it all began, and like, and and, the, know, and I think it's easy to underestimate how rough Ireland looked in yeah. the first half of 2013. They really yeah. did look rough. Yeah, this was. They've never really looked back since this moment. They've always been. They've always had something about them ever since. I mean, there are thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right then, so that's number four, that was, Josh. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Five. Yes. Which is Scotland's Australia wins. Well, I was reminded, I'd forgot, 2009 was not good for rugby, was it? Well, for, the point I'd like to make, first of all, the reason why I want to mention Scotland's Australia wins before we get into 2009 mm. is that eight Earth years separate these wins. One in 2009, yes. one in 2017. But about 59 light years separate them and in terms the of the competence and performance. When, when I was looking back at this and how fucking... Diff, like, this was like a none more Scotland in the 2000s performance. It was like, even though they were, I'm sure you enjoyed the win, Scotland fans, but honestly, it was hatefully shit and negative as a game. And you were just not, it's not your fault. It's Andy Robinson's. It's what he does. But <laughs> Phil, Phil Godman, come on. Dark, like, dark Godman dark. days. Like, it was just this bloody-minded defensive resilience. Like, none, it was Scotland, everything that Scotland used to be. Like, bloody-minded, defensively resilient, good goal-kicking relentlessly negative, mauling everything, swirling winds, putting opposition kickers off. They got stuck in, though. They frustrated the fuck out of Yeah, they were fucking niggly and they were hard, but, like, it had all the attacking verve and vavavum, a pile of sheep shit, let's be honest. It was just fucking horrible. And and then you look at the... When they win, when Scotland... When Gitto misses that conversion and they win, the the crowd are fucking delirious. And fair enough. They hadn't beaten them in 30 years, but it just no, shows them that things have changed Fair enough, since. that's the end of it, yeah. Compared to, like, like, 
would there be dancing in the scat in the stands today and wild celebrations if Scotland beat Australia in a game like that today? I think they'd still be celebrating, but it wouldn't be they'd quite be celebrating. Was, you'd you'd be happy it's that thirty years of hurt thing. So it's I mean, yeah, I, you know, line, but yeah, expectations have moved on. The game has moved on. Would you like, be dancing up and down if you beat Australia nine eight in November? I would be now because because <laughs> there's so much fucking baggage. But like a couple of years ago, whenever it was, or a year ago. When Wales beat South Africa in one of the most hateful games of rugby ever, I was there. Yeah, you and were. There was, you? there was nothing like when you've been good and when you've had success and when you've seen a team play well. Beating a bad team by playing almost as badly as they are, there's very little upside beyond mild relief at the end, mm. you know. And I, I think that's what it would be like now. And it just shows like what a difference eight years makes. Fucking Vern Cotter should use footage from this game. And then the one in, and then the one in fucking uh, last year, twenty seventeen, yeah. just as a fucking CV forever, because he's the reason why this happened. Like without him, the miserable shit continues. The miserable fucking horrendous Frank Haddon, Andy Robinson, Scott Johnson misery is is just you know. And obviously Townsend has sort of taken it on again, but he is basically the. Th- thing that transforms the mindset the ethos the spirit and then it comes to fruition in 2017 against australia when they fucking batter them in a totally different way yes uh we did sorry to go back to the island game a minute i didn't do the would you rather have them in your team now because oh, it's yeah. mostly the same kind of team o'connell's gone obviously yeah madigan's gone but generally speaking i don't think there's much worth going over yeah scotland in true. 2009 this should be a good game i'm not scottish <laughs> but let's just have a look at this Fullback, Rory Lamont. No. No. <laughs> Wing, Sean Lamont. No. No. Outside centre, a person called Grove, who I can't actually remember. <laughs> I don't remember no, him. Probably not. Probably would have taken Hugh Jones, to be honest. I, don't, I wouldn't have thought so, Unlikely. given that I can't remember him. No. Unlikely. Uh, Graham Morrison at 12. No. no. Uh, God, Graham Morrison, man. Simon Danielli on the other wing. Oh, definitely not. No. Phil Godman. Over the yeah. over Finn God. or anyone really? Yeah, I wouldn't have Newcastle's... Phil Godman over a disused sort of burnt out brazier. At Newcastle's Phil Godman, Chris Cusseter. Oh, see now, I don't think he, I he's... think he's 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 as good as if not than Ali Price and Green. Yeah, yeah, I'd have I'd take Chris Cusseter to be honest. Yeah. I, thought, I, I I always had a lot of time for him. Alan Jacobson, Ross Ford, still there. More low. No. No, not really. Not ahead of Nell. Low no. ahead of Nell. No. No. Lou said Daryl Marfo, the coming man. I quite like Alan no. Jacobson just from a comedy point of view. Yes. <laughs> funny to be fair. But it gets a bit better as you move further back, actually. Nathan Hines, Ali Kellogg. Wouldn't take him over the Greys, though, would you? No, same. Um, Strokosh, John Barkley, Beatty. Strokosh was bog standard when he blessed Strokosh was incredibly average. <laughs> He's very bold, but incredibly average. You know, Barkley um, still, you know, Barkley still around, there. Would have him over him. I would have him then over him now, probably from a fitness point probably. of view. Probably. But I think he's a better player. Well, you're stamped on the Mishit territory here, aren't you? You'd yeah, have him at I six, wouldn't you, in the Mishit? I tell you what, seven. I think he's a better player now than he was. He's, he's a player who's got much better as he's got older, I think. But anyway, yeah. There you go. So Scotland in 2017, which we're not going to do the team thing because it is the same thing. So yeah, then we get to 2017, Mm. which is, by all accounts, an absolute and total paddling 
a tonking well, of biblical proportions. It's arguably modern Scotland's best performance, you know, in terms of just a lot of these didn't help themselves going down to fourteen after twenty minutes, obviously. But you can only beat what's in front of you, and you can. And only... how many times have we said in the past couple of years that going down to fourteen isn't necessarily? It's not as there's been too many good results. They kept it very tight and close until well into the second half, and then all of a sudden Scotland uh, just click, and they just start scoring tries for absolute fun. With just it was so much like Byron McGuigan looking like a fucking international player for. He looks amazing, years. didn't he? Yeah, God bless him. He should have retired immediately. And of course, you forget. I forgot. I'd forgotten until I went back and remember that Hogg got injured in the warm up for this game, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Maybe goes in at fullback. It but was yeah. such a such a weird one and such a like like you say, players that you know maybe Boy McGregor will have a fucking long and successful international career, but it doesn't really seem like it. Mm. It was just a perfect storm of a game where everything that Vern Cotter and and Gregor Townsend between them had kind of tried to instill into the Scotland team over the years, just kind of clicked. And it was, they were fantastic and wonderful. And, and it yeah, was a proper stuff. Australia team as well. Oh, fuck you yeah. Know, I mean, they're not in great form, but it was a proper set of players. Yeah, well, they were good enough to beat Wales. So, uh, obviously, everyone is. So, yeah, a tale of two Scotland wins mm. is number five against Australia, 2009 and 2017. Number six. What I'm I'm titled into the home straight now. You'll be glad to hear. Mm. I'm titling um, this one number six is New Zealand in 2004. There's a couple of games here. Yes, I mean Wales v New Zealand 2004 is horrible. From remind everybody what the score was. <sighs> Do I have to? Well, yes, because otherwise people won't remember it. Then they'll, they'll wonder what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, uh, it was 26-25 to New Zealand, uh, which is the closest wow. Wales have come. In my lifetime, uh, to beating the All Blacks, um, and probably the best chance they'll ever have um, to do it. To be honest, um, it's it's such a bittersweet game because it was the closest we've come, obviously. But it's the first time I really thought the Wales might be a bit different to what had come before. Because obviously, this was two thousand and four. This was pre Grand Slam, but this Wales team played well against this All Blacks team. <laughs> Like hmm. Stephen Jones's cross kick or kick like kick pass, we call it in stupid 2018 terminology, I guess. Uh, set up Tom Shankling in the corners, one of my favourite things he ever did. Uh, the All Blacks were the All Blacks. They came back, they attacked. But when the ball got broken up in broken play and the game got loose and you thought, oh, fucking hell, here we go, from a Wales fan point of view. They didn't. They didn't capitulate. They put pressure on the All Blacks. Uh, they, they, you know, Henson, if had a, couple of kicks that went over that brought them to within a point. Um, he had a penalty that hit the post that would have given us the win. It was huge. And even though we lost, it really laid the foundation for what came um, in the Six Nations two months later. You know, the biggest surprise but, about this game is for me. What? Gareth Clewellyn is still playing for Wales. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's he starts it. this game. I know. 79-year-old Gareth Clewellyn partnered with Brent Cobain. I know. It's mad, isn't it? But... The reason that we got close was because this was an All Blacks team that was supposed to be in transition because this is like, this tour is effectively the moment where the All Blacks begin their reign as the most dominant team in the history of rugby union. True, because yeah. I think most people know the story of how the All Blacks became the All Blacks in, you know, as we know them now. Like, they get hammered, what is it, 40-26 by the box in 2004, uh, and the events after that game, which features like 
players' courts and so much drinking that one of the coaches thinks he's dying. <laughs> and the Springboks players have to put the All Black players into like the recovery position because they passed out all over the fucking hotel floor. Unacceptable. Um, yeah, they well, it's the, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the birth of what's known in polite circles as the all-black 24-7 concept or, in more realistic terms, the no-dickheads rule, which is... <laughs> is an, Apart um, from Aaron Smith, is the exception. Well, that, well that's the thing. No, they have one marquee player and go above the salary cap. <laughs> he's, he's the, one there's, there's one dickhead. One allowed, dickhead. Yeah. Well, there's always dickheads, but the interesting thing... I, I've forgotten all about this, but Graham Henry was in his first season with the all-blacks at this point. And like the John Mitchell insane, and look forward to that, by the way, England fans, the John Mitchell <laughs> insane partying drinking culture was very much in effect. And so basically Henry McCaw and a few more of the senior players, basically when they got to New Zealand, were like, look, we need to start taking this fucking seriously. So they banned binge drinking. They banned fucking bringing girls back to the hotel. They fucking got rid of basically the players that they thought were the ringleaders and the players that were going to cause like the booze culture. To, so Andrew Mertens was gone. Justin Marshall was gone. Carlos Spencer was gone. They were all out of the All Black squad and they never came back. Mm. And they created this idea. So was Lau Lala, but for different reasons. <clears throat> yes. But um, although he played in this game, um, the idea was... After this, this game, I bet. Yeah, yeah. The new generation of this All Blacks would come through who would like respect this new sort of this incredibly fucking worthy leave the jersey in a better place thing and so Word he handed, mode, it? Well, the thing, he handed over the future of the all blacks graham, graham henry basically mccall got graham henry to go i know you're a fucking control freak mate but here's this 10-man senior leadership group of players like fucking mccall and tanaru maga and Mulyaina and players like this who, who bought into it and he said let us be be the fucking watchdogs let us look after ourselves let us set the tone and nobody knew if it would work. And nobody, and they went into this autumn tour having dropped all these senior players, and nobody knew if it was going to be that good. And they obviously they squeaked past Wales. Yes. And you know they they had a grand, and next up they had France, which is the second of, game we're going to talk about. Yeah, is the, it, France in front of eight so a week later, people in the staff, yeah. Grand Slam champions France. Like this fucking France team was good. They'd won the Slam in two thousand and four. They had. Clermont Poitrino, the team that started against the All Blacks, Poitrino, Rougerie, Michelac, Harry Nordeke, Oliver Magne, Serge Betson, Fabian Pelouse, William Servat, Sylvia Marquet, Yannick Jozion, fucking... Christophe Dominici. Terrifying fuck... pack. Imagine that yeah. pack now. Oh, man. Yeah. And they smashed Australia the week before. And But then you look at the All Blacks team that they fielded that day that was considered experimental. And you go, 15, Mills Mulyaina. Not bad. 14, Dougie Howlett. He's all right. 13, the first time on an All Blacks tour for Conrad Smith. <laughs> 12, Tanaru Maga. 11, Joe Rokotoko. 10, young Dan Carter. 9, Byron Kelleher. 8, Ronnie Soyolo. 7, Richie McCaw. 6, Jerry Collins. 5, Norm Maxwell. 4, Chris Jack. 3, Carl Heyman. 2, Anton Oliver. And 1, Tony Woodcock. And then on the bench, you've got Kevin Mialamu, Greg Somerville, Ali Williams, uh, Piri Weepu. Uh, Aaron Major and Marnonu. When those packs ran into each other, how did they not sort of like rip a hole in the space? Time continuum. <laughs> but the thing was, this was expected to be a massive test for the All Blacks, and they were probably expected to lose. And what was the and score? They <laughs> fucking battered them. The final score was 45 6. Yeah. 
And that New Zealand pack was like a threshing machine. Well, it was the pace, the pack, the, like they they emptied the bench of fifty six minutes, right? Fifty six minutes, so fifteen minutes into the second half, the bench comes on and they take the foot off. The score at that point was thirty eight six. Can you imagine? It could have been fifty sixty, however much they. <laughs> it could wanted. have been like that semi final of the World Cup. Well, yeah, they and they bullied and out. The, the best thing about it was they not only they bullied France, but they outthought France in every facet of the game, and it was basically a horrible teaser of everything that they were going to go, do to the Lions in two thousand and five. Um, mm. But it was a statement. It was, yes, this All Blacks twenty four seven thing works. If they take this shit seriously, if they and that's sacrifice, why everybody's brushing up all the time now. Yeah, that's why. But if they take it, that's why. Like take... third teams in fucking West Wales are all banging on about culture and, and brushing exactly. up changing rooms and shit. Yeah, because they realised that if they sacrificed the extracurricular shit and they focused with this near religious zealotry on the idea of being an All Black, they'd be the best team in the world, and they were. And what's really interesting for me when you think about it is like. All of these, none of these players were nightmares when they were All Blacks. But then, like, you look at that fucking team. Like, Jerry Collins liked to drink. Yep. Mills Muliaina liked to drink. Like, Ali Williams. These, Ali Williams. Liked, liked some other drink. stuff. Liked a lot of interesting, <laughs> like, a lot of things. Piri Weepu liked food. Um, yes. all he liked to drink things, food. Probably. Yeah. Well, boy, we've discussed the Greece thing. Um, <laughs> but all of these players, they sacrificed everything for being an all-black. And the second that they weren't all-blacks anymore, they just went back to how they were before. And they got on the fuck... Because so powerful was this notion that they created of being an all-black, of this fucking all-blacks 24-7 thing, that it became this fucking mantra that the second that they were out of that environment and you took the all-black away from it... It was fucking on the fucking booze boys. It's it's a weird one. I I don't want to sort of overstate the case here, but it does feel like that was kind of the tour and the moment that established the And I think people when they signed those players like we put London Welsh thought that's what you were getting. Yeah. Oh god, he'll be enough to keep us up because look at him. And then of course <laughs> he turns up and like, I'm not with the All Blacks anymore. I'm going to exclusively wear stretchy trousers for the next two years and we're <laughs> going to be eating a lot of pizza. So just yeah. get it ready. Well, well Jerry, you know, Jerry Collins was fucking amazing for the Ospreys. He was on one it. long extended, slightly boozy holiday the whole time yeah, he was over. He, it, went, he? he was literally in, and you can talk to anybody who lived in Swansea or around Clandarcy at that point when he was there. He was an incredible bloke and a lovely bloke and always bought the beers for everyone. But that's because he was in there at fucking two o'clock on a fucking Wednesday afternoon and there wasn't a lot of people in the fucking pub. You know, he <laughs> loved to drink. And he was a fucking, he was a life and soul of the party and a great bloke and I loved him to bits. But I want a player fuck- and God rest his soul. Absolutely. But he, you know, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't fucking in the pub every day when he was a fucking All Black. No. You know? I'd have found out <laughs> and he'd have been dropped. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you look at players like... And it still happens, you know, players like Israel Dagg getting fucking caught out boozing the night before the World Cup final or, you know, it just still happens. There, as you said, there is the occasional dickhead rule, but there's a... Israel Dagg, I, of course, he had the ball bounce off his chest to Rob Carney in 2013. That was, a, that, yes. was, that was him as well. It was, yeah. 
but yeah, that was kind of that always struck me as like not only a couple of very you know from a Wales fans' point of view, kind of a bittersweet start of something fun, but also last best chance we ever got to beat the fucking guys. But also from a New Zealand point of view, the start of where everything yeah you know, they turning into the fucking Death Star effectively. But also the beginning of two thousand and five for Wales. Funny, yeah, enough, it's quite a yeah, seminal sort of, of game for everyone. Weird there. synergy thing there, yeah. Of course, that Wales team is not that dissimilar to the, like, 2005, but Tom Shanklin's in there. Yeah. Uh, Super Gavin's in there. Super Gavin Henson. Uh, Dwayne Peel's in this team. Yes. Good player. You'd have him in now, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd have Dwayne Peel now. Oh, Gethin. Geth, obviously, forever. In any I'd position he wants to play I'd, in. I'd have Gethin now if he's free, you know. Mevin, I piss live on television, Davis. <laughs> remember that one? Those who don't remember, yeah. he was caught on camera at Gloucester's ground, was he? Having One a piss in the cubicle. Ever yeah. This is why TV should stay out of the changing room. 100%. Because Mevin Davis is pissing in there. Yeah. Adam is um, at, Adam Adam is at tight head. Brent it's, the, it's the start of that Grand Slam front row of Mevin, Geth and Adam yeah, Jones. Yeah, of course, yeah. David Jones at six, smashing oh everything he moves. David Jones with a young Ryan Jones on the bench alongside Martin Williams and Gareth Cooper and Kerry Sweeney and Reese Williams. And a man who I don't... Who the fuck was Steve Jones? I'm assuming he's a prop and he played for the Dragons. No. He must have... R. Jones for the Ospreys. Was he a prop or a hooker? R. Jones for the Ospreys is Ryan Jones. Oh, of course it is. Sorry. So Steve Jones must be a hooker. I'm guessing. Steve Jones. Steve Jones is a hooker, and I he played for the Dragons. And no, I no, gen- no memory. Of that genuinely, have no memory of him. What's funny is this is 2004, and it quite clearly says he plays for Dragons, not Newport Gwent Dragons. People must have been yeah, fucking apoplectic yeah. at, the, at that. <laughs> the Brent, as we mentioned, the Brent Cobain, Gareth Llewellyn lock axis. Yes, Gareth Llewellyn, man. Really, he must have been pushing really. forty at this point. I know I tend to overstate these things, but he must have been. Well, Gareth, he's 49 now. Oh, no, so... no. So not 40, 35 then. Oh, that's not too... Yeah. About Alan Wynn's age, isn't it? He must have been playing for... He was playing for Bristol or something by this point, though. He was playing for Narbonne. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Loving it down France. Well, I played to him. Just a Trivia weird... about Gareth Clewellyn, most capped Welsh player never to get a Lions tour. That sort of fits, doesn't it? It does kind of fit. And you think about the year he played in. Yeah. But yeah. But I have like visions of Gareth Llewellyn paying in like massive cotton shirts with only white collars and no stripes on it and no, and just, you know, that kind of classic 80s period because that's probably when he started, wasn't it? Because he was capped quite early, wasn't he? (laughs) He definitely did do a bit of that. And obviously there was a fair bit of like crossover with the 90s, I guess. Yeah, it must have been. Anyway... We move on from that, the the start of two, sort of, I don't know, well, definitely a dynasty with New Zealand. And, and more of a mini-series very, very with Wales. And Four yeah, episodes, so, and by like, the end you're left unsatisfied by the conclusion. Yeah, basically the first season of True Detective. You know, it's <laughs> yes. like, it's really good, it's really exciting, it's really well done. It ended a little bit badly, and what came afterwards was fairly fucking dreadful, to be honest. Didn't so, even watch season two. Wasn't terrible, interested. absolutely terrible. And last, and by no means least, is a bit of indulgence from my point of view, is we go back to 2012, to England versus the All Blacks. Or should I say, I think versus is probably understating it, England's triumphant defeat 
This over the All Blacks. Win over the All Blacks. Let me say this day, and I'm not kidding you. This is one of the most miserable fucking days of my entire fucking life. Let me set the scene. It's the 1st of December 2012, which a ridiculous time to be playing international rugby, by the way. That's, that's another matter entirely. Um, I'm heading to the Millennium Stadium to watch Wales versus Australia. Oh, that's not a good year to go. Wales, Wales won a Grand Slam nine months previously. Six-match losing streak now, uh, enjoying our first <laughs> taste of Rob Hurley's ineptitude. Uh, we lost to Argentina and Samoa at home that autumn. Um, they needed a win desperately to avoid pot three for the to Rugby World Cup in 2015, the pool of death thing. How did that, that go? I have no win. memory of how that went. No, uh, they'd lost seven on the bounce to Australia. They were desperate. And then in classic Wales style, we controlled the game for roughly 79 minutes. Uh, and then they switched off in the last second. Curtly Beale ran at the touchline, uh, scored in the corner to contend Wales to defeat. Um, and in the process, caused Lee Halfpenny to get what looked like a pretty serious and scary neck injury. So like, I've got a thing, right? I won't leave a game until it was over. And like... Yeah, that's why we go and watch sports because if you fuck off early, you're robbing yourself of something potentially magical happening. Yes. Like, but the game had ended, but it hadn't. The conversion needed to be taken, but Lee Halfpenny's fucking lying prone on the floor, surrounded by doctors. It's horrendous. Nobody knows if he's okay or not. He hadn't moved, and so the game wasn't over. So I sort of I stayed there in my seat uh, in the North Stand of Millennium Stadium, and I. I, it was so, I've never heard it so quiet in there. We were just, it was this weird fucking living death of a rugby game where the game's over. We know we've lost. We haven't actually, it hasn't happened yet. And we all just sit there fucking numb, like watching it's a these fucking, war. <laughs> we're watching these doctors tend to leave off pain and everybody's just sitting there, just numb. Nobody moving, nobody talking, just like waiting for the other fucking shoe to drop for what must have been like 15 minutes. And then, and the doors fire up. Oh, this is the end. <laughs> <laughs> we're, sit, we're sitting there, you know, it's 15 minutes. It feels like hours have gone by. It's just silence. Everybody's just sort of looking at their hands and like, it's like a wake. And then my mate Hugh gets his phone out, sat next to me and puts it away again. And then without even looking up from the floor, just sort of turns to me and says, and England have fucking beaten the All Black. <laughs> <laughs> Scene. <laughs> <laughs> and see ah, that's don't stop believing <laughs> like sitting there watching one of the Wales's best players get carted off the field with a serious neck injury and then fucking it comes through that you back I don't know about you ladies and gentlemen but I, I'm on my feet applauding that monologue I've almost honestly I feel moved can I just say you lost, you lost an Australia team that day that had Nick Phipps at 9 and Gertley Beale at 10 they were dog shit, and they did not deserve to win at all. But we just fucking switched off, and it was hideous anyway. So this can we go the... back to the game where yes. England win? <laughs> the the Manu Myth game. The most damaging and insidious of all England rugby maladies. This was the game where the Manu Myth was formed. Yes. And this glorious... Although, well, you know, it well, was incredible. Yeah, and uh, this was kind of Lancaster's dream realised after, you know, after the dwarf tossing... And all the horribleness of 2011. And uh, Stewie comes in, brings players through, mm-hmm. puts up posters about character and being a proper kind of northern man. He spent <laughs> he spent weeks doing the northern man stance in the in the stands with yeah, his leg up, yeah. leaning on it and stuff. 
And it's easy to forget that um, England came second in the Six Nations yeah. on points of effectively. In 2013, after this, in 2013, 2014, and 2015, he got to a fairly consistent level of performance <laughs> until he did, didn't yeah. get to a fairly consistent level of performance <laughs> and something else happened. Yeah. And then, of course, what you've got to remember is, that it's, you know, it's not easy to forget this, but it's worth remembering anyway, worth remembering again. They win the Grand Slam in 2016 under Jones mm. when they finished second for the three years running up to it. And he's regarded as the One great never team. knows, do they? No. Exactly what made you never know, do you? Because it's you no. know, they twisted rather than stuck, and that was the end of it. But there is definitely an element of you know, he loosened the jar for you, Eddie, isn't there? Sort of thing. Oh, massively so. And I mean, like I, I, I joke about the Manny myth, but you look at it and like England 38, New Zealand 21 was a score, indeed. by the way. But he, he he was incredible in this game. He was unplayable. He was world-beating. He made Marnonu have fucking fits in a way that you rarely see him do it. And because of that, like every England coach and lots of fans ever since have just been preoccupied with the notion that if they can just get him back to fitness and form, yes, they're going to win the World Cup. Well, this is, and I've said this before, but again, it's worth saying it again. England's entire World Cup preparation fell apart because he got injured and everyone was like yeah. well what the fuck are we going to do now we have absolutely nobody yeah. else well, it was who it was can so, do what he does yeah it caused Stuart Lancaster to effectively throw the World Cup into a cocked hat on the Sam Burgess gamble it caused Eddie Jones to repeatedly try and unearth similar players to fill the 12 shirt despite the Farrell Ford access access bringing in their best success in 15 years it's bizarre to me like Mano's fucking world class when he's fit He's a colossus, but you can't bet the farm on him. You can't gamble on him because of everything that's happened in the last five years. And it's really interesting to me that his performance so good in this game that he basically just kind of made every other England centre ever since be judged on that one game standard because he hasn't really had another chance in an England shirt for any period of time to be shit. Let's be honest. Because you know he's never he's never really had a chance to show that every time he pulls on an England shirt that doesn't happen. Of course, he was playing thirteen this day, which is he was, again yeah. why I think he shouldn't play. Because Barrett was at twelve, Brad Barrett, yeah. man, wow. He actually again looked like a world beater. I mean, there were some magnificent hot takes after this about it being the greatest yes. performance at Twickenham that anyone's ever seen, and uh, but I mean that was um, as good as England were. There was a tired New Zealand team that they looked tired. Yeah, that was probably Dan Carter's worst ever game. However, if you look at um, <coughs> if you look at six years on, now you can see why. You look at that Ashton try in that game, the Chris Ashton try in that game. Off the in that game, off the it comes off the top of the line out. It goes to Manu, who does that like outside arcing run, mm. and then smashes some people. And Ashton drifts off his right wing and appears in the perfect position to run it in. Even six years later, you can see where Eddie Jones is going, I want them two in my squad, and I want them both fit. Because nobody the... can do that, Those what those two do. They, want, they just no, won't do it. I was, it's really interesting. You look at that squad, and you look at the players that are effectively still in their prime but have been essentially discarded or have been sort of picked with fucking reluctance since. You know, Alex Goode was 15 that day. If you look at this... I mean, if you look at this backline, to be honest, there's a lot of people out there who will say Alex Goode at fullback, Chris Ashton, Manu Tuolangi, Brad Barrett, 
Mike Brown on the other wing. Mm. Mm. Farrell he and Ben. Good that game, he was the Farrell and Ben Youngs in the back. Would anybody argue with that <coughs> back line? Right, I mean Youngs is what he is, but nobody's going to argue with that back line now, are they? No, six the only, years the on. Only, the only player that you know people would question is fucking Barrett, and that's because he's old. Like every all the rest of them, they and you know Jonathan I think Barrett's Jones, a better player now than he was then. I think if you Barrett, Barrett player. certainly Barrett of two years ago is better than Barrett of twenty twelve was absolutely. Yeah. And you look at you know Joe Launchbury was fucking incredible in this game. It was this kind of coming of age series, this, yeah. wasn't it? And now he's kind of you know there's a sense that he's, he's his face doesn't fit. Jonathan Joseph came off the bench in this game. He's kind of been like. You know, there's a sense that... Marco Vanapola came off the bench. Marco Vanapola came off the bench, got sent off. David uh, Pace came off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a baffling one, isn't it? David, the shagged out Bagpuss Wilson, was still around and came yeah. off the bench. <laughs> but Farrell at 10 as well. You know, how many times has fucking Eddie Jones tried his absolute damnedest to not play Farrell at 10? And who replaced Farrell on 64 minutes? Those of you who don't remember, a certain Mr. Frederick Burns. <laughs> Came on at 64 minutes. Freddie Burns slotted a few penalties wow. towards it, uh, slots a few kicks towards the end as well. Yeah, I mean, it's still... It's weird, isn't it? But in a way, this... Again, Rock this story. seemed like a realisation of everything that um, he was trying to achieve. Lancaster yeah, this, was, this was England are going to win the World Cup. And he seemed to know. have found players who wanted to play for him and were able and had some physical presence about them and a little bit of something. Farrell was becoming a kind of... The player that, well, I suppose we all still want him to be, and is now. And it is just, and then it, and it, and the thing is, it's easy to think that it stopped in 2012. It didn't. No, you know, they were still building and performing. Because I remember when you, I think one of the episodes we did not long ago, when England were doing okay, and you were saying they don't look that different to the Lancaster team, though, do they? And you're an outsider. I think it was. In. I think it was when that we first started this podcast, which would have been shortly after. Rugby World Cup 2015, wouldn't it? It would have been. It was round about that time. So I think that first when six Jones, nations, it was like, do they look that different? Yeah, like they're the same fucking team. They're just not playing as well. Like at that time, they and when they went to Australia, that was the first time that they'd looked like they'd looked as good as they did when they were play, You know, in the 2015 mm. Six Nations, say, you know, they were really good up until then. They were fucking, they were sure shit beating Wales for fun, and yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, of so course. It a, I mean, that, you know. that New Zealand team, Dag, Corey Jane, Conrad Smith, Mar Nono, Julian Savia, Carter, Aaron Smith, Woodcock, Milamo, Owen Franks, Retallick, Whitelock, Liam Messam, McCaw, Kieran Reid. I mean, it's not a fucking Muggs team. Absolutely not. A long it, way from it. It was, a, it, was quite a, it was a bit of a transition team, wasn't it? Because it was a team that, you know, some of those players would not be around for the World Cup. Hmm. But and still. they'd get replaced, but a lot of them would be. A lot of them would be. All the key constituent parts would be, certainly. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Our little seven at trot of seven games. It's fun, that. A I rugby that. seven, yes. We'll do this again, not every week. We'll obviously go back to after the Autumn Internationals reviewing. We've got Mike Bubbins coming on soon as well. So we've got a few things happening. Uh, by the way, I fully expect the full torrent of I cannot believe you didn't mention insert game here when you did your Rugby 7. So please feel free to get in touch with us and tell us all about what you thought. Australia New Australia versus Wales 2013, probably. Good game. Enjoyed it. <laughs> I went to that game. Yeah. 
Gray Cooper was magnificent. Yeah, Wales were not. No, that was. Uh... I remember being at that game. I'm not going to talk about. It. I remember the game. I was in the crowd, and I remember going, "Why do Wales keep shifting the point of attack twelve meters from the rook <laughs> every single time? Oh. Every single that was that was like peak sort of what's Gatlin going to do now? Period. Because whatever he was doing wasn't working. I genuinely there were so many times, and I fully expect to be donning those rags of fucking anger in a very short amount of time again when when we do it again this autumn but the number of time the number of ways i've watched wales lose to fucking australia i said robbie owen i texted said uh, i said he's got some memories of the ottomans and ashes robbie owen said when wales lost to australia i said which when was that and he said in about two weeks time <laughs> well yeah exactly Thank exactly. you. I did put this out on Twitter, so thank you all for the people who did uh, suggest some stuff and we picked yes. up some of it and not some, some of it we'd Always already fun. covered and stuff. So thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed this because everyone will be doing previews and everyone will be talking about the weekend, so it's just a little bit of something else for your podcast listening this week. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Goodbye. See ya. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.